Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremy McCandless and our plan and project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today you join us as we begin a new chapter, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. And we're going to ask the question, how can we have an encouraging prayer life? You know, some people get discouraged. They get so discouraged that they're driven to pray. And other people sometimes pray and then they get discouraged after they pray. What I mean by that is some people, when they pray, they don't feel the prayer is answered and they lose heart and get discouraged. So my question today is what should you do when you feel like your prayer life is discouraging? Well, the passage addresses that today, that very specific question. So join with me as we consider what we can learn from what is often called the parable of the persistent widow. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Okay, it's a normal pattern today, friends. I'm going to read to you this short passage of Scripture. Then we're going to work through it together, verse by verse. And then I'll try and spend a little bit of time and consider what it actually means for us today. So this is what the text says. Picking up at verse 1, chapter 18 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge does. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you he will. See that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find such faith on earth? Now, it's a short passage today, isn't it? And it's kind of fairly split evenly. Uh, There's a bit of an introduction at the start, and then there's this parable, which picks up in verse 2 and goes down to verse verse 5. Pretty short, straightforward parable. And then Jesus explains the parable in the closing verses with a a rather uh, interesting and strange allusion right at the end. Now, the first thing I would like to point out, I've mentioned it a few times before. In the original text, of course, there's no chapter break. Those were put in, they were man-made, and they were added hundreds and hundreds of years later. So what's significant, at least in part, about this is it's linked to the last part of chapter 17. Jesus there was seen to talk about the second coming. So some would suggest, and I believe correctly, that there's a connection here between what he discussed in the last chapter about the second coming and the coming of the kingdom and what Jesus is saying here. And that becomes even more interesting when you notice it in the final verse of today's parable. He concluded it, he talked by off by saying, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So 
in that context, you see that the short parable is in fact sandwiched between two references to the second coming. But the parable itself is very much a discussion on the topic of prayer. He introduces us as such. So, perhaps what's really going on here is Jesus has just been teaching them that he's leaving but later he's going to come back and that there's going to be this interval between these two events and he's aware that during that interval people like his disciples but listen friends also like you and I today we are at risk of becoming discouraged maybe because he's not coming back as quick as we think he should. And Elliot, there seems to be a connection here, doesn't there, between the second coming and the subject of prayer he's discussing here in parable form. So what Jesus actually says here, he says people ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Now I think the King James Version is has a really interesting way of translating it. It says to pray and not to faint. And of course, when we think of fainting, we think of failing physically. So perhaps the idea here is that you fail emotionally and it means you just actually it spills over to you making a decision where you actually give up physically doing the things that God wants you to do. In this case, throwing your hands up and sort of throwing the towel in, so to speak, and quitting in your position, posture of prayer. But if there's one idea that I'll pick up here, it is the fact that we are told not to get discouraged, not to lose heart, particularly when we feel that things aren't working out the way we would expect, or we feel God isn't answering prayers in the way we expect. The danger is that when that happens, we may begin to feel helpless and give up, not just in prayer, but living the way of life that God wants us to live the way that's best for us and see Jesus is simply teaching here through this parable don't do that and and to communicate that he uses this amazing parabolic form of teaching and, and in verse 2 we get the actual story itself and how it, it meshes with this idea and it tells us right up from the off that in, uh, he talks about a certain town where a judge pointing out that this judge in this story doesn't even fear God or care about what people think. Now it's likely in terms of what this would have meant to the people listening that he's talking about a Gentile judge, perhaps a Roman judge. The reason we know this is that the Jewish people at that time never used single solo judges in their courts to make any decision. In Jewish societies, people went to elders who also served in the role of judges. And when there was an issue to be discussed and decided, they would choose three judges to hear the case. In any conflict, each person could choose a judge and then a third judge would be chosen independently of the two involved. So had this been a Jewish situation he was talking about, then there would have been three judges instead of one. So at any rate, this uh, Gentile judges seem to come to town and were given the added information that he doesn't fear God, he's not a religious man, and he doesn't, certainly not a Jewish religious man, and he doesn't care even about what people think. So from what I understand, this was a judge probably in the minds of the people at that time would have been represented a judge either appointed by the Romans or maybe by Herod himself. 
and that type of judge would travel around, they would come to towns, and they would set up a tent, and then his attendants would surround the tent, and they'd open the flaps, and you could look into the tent and see the proceedings, and people would go and make representation. But you couldn't go in unless you had some sort of influence. And the one common form of influence in those days, you won't be surprised to hear, is that you could either bribe one of the attendants or perhaps even the judge himself. We notice that this judge is clearly referred to in this parable as an unjust judge. So that's what is being implied here. He doesn't care. And as one commentator I read said about these judges, they would often render decisions in return for a bribe, sometimes as petty a bribe as just being given a meal. So often you could bribe them in order that you could get some sort of influence with them, otherwise you wouldn't even get your case heard. So he introduces us to this character of the unjust judge. And then in his parable, he introduces this other character, often referred to as the persistent widow. Now, this woman has everything against her. For starters, well, she's a woman. And in that day, women had no standing at all before a judge or in court. Secondly, she's a widow. She had no husband who could stand in her place. And if she was a widow, she was also probably very poor and she wouldn't have had any money to try and bribe the attendants and to get into the tent. So her only recourse, it seems, is to do what she do, does and she walks around the, the tent shouting at the judge, aggravating him, him, but I would imagine certainly getting his attention and keeps doing it. And that's apparently what's going on here. And she comes to him shouting, I want justice. And the way this is written in the original text, I'm led to understand that the word means that she keeps coming and doing it over and over and over again. Now, at first, it seems he paid little attention to her. He was trying his other cases. But afterwards, he says to himself, we see, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will have to see she gets justice. So what's going on here is rather straightforward. He says she's bothering him. Now, that's a weak translation of that word. In the original Greek, the word literally means this woman is beating me up. There's an Italian phrase that you hear in the Mafia movie where they'll say how much someone is annoying them. I'll not repeat it. But that's kind of what's going on here. It even is translated reasonably as she's pummeling me, beating me up. So this is more than just a mild irritation here. This word is used to describe a state of persistent annoyance, which is why it often gets translated and our King James translated as a persistent widow. But she just keeps going and going and going and annoying him more and more. So he finally gives up and says, you know what, I'm going to answer just to get her out of my hair. I don't want to hear this anymore. Okay, he says, I'll give you justice and I'll give it to you to get you out of here. And that's the parable. Now, remember a couple of days ago, we heard a parable in Unjust Steward just back in chapter 15, probably about a week ago, maybe eight days, seven or eight days ago, we talked about it. Now we have an unjust judge, sorry. And interesting that God is using unjust people, corrupt people, you might even say, people that are unfair and crooked to teach a spiritual truth. So what is he trying to teach us here? Well, there's no guessing or speculating, is there? It tells us in the text, 
Then the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen one who cry out to him day and night? So the Lord says, look, I'm going to teach you a truth. By contrast here, if this guy, this corrupt, unjust judge, will do the right thing in the end, then by contrast, how much more will a loving father want to answer your prayer? But what's interesting is in verse 7, it says, he bears with us long in doing it. And this is a critical point, I think, of the passage, which is, if we're persistent in prayer, we need to understand that sometimes the Lord bears long with us, which I submit to you is the reason that we then become discouraged and lose heart in the first place. And we're not to do that, this story's telling us. You see, sometimes it's saying the Lord delays answers to prayer. In fact, I think it's reasonable to, and safe to say that delay is often part of the plan. I'm just going to let that statement sink in for a moment because it's really important. Delay in an answer to prayer is often part of God's plan. Jesus states that very clearly here. God sometimes delays the answer and in doing so he bears along with us and he delays. But then I suppose the question that immediately pops into your head is the same as mine is why does God delay in answering a prayer? Now, I don't know that this is the only reason for it, but this is one reason I believe he does it, and that is he sometimes delays an answer to our prayer in order to strengthen us, to enable us to endure hardship, and to develop persistence, so that we become persistent just like this, this widow woman was. This is part of God's program for our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that when we're praying and we don't appear to hear an answer, that does not mean that God is not working. He may be working while he is actually delaying. That may be part of his way of getting our circumstances to line up in the right place, so to speak, so that he can then answer us in the proper and right way. But in the meantime, as I say, sometimes it means that the trials we go through and that what we consider the delay in an answer to pray are there for our benefit, for our training, for our, our spiritual maturity. So the delay can be part of God training us. He's training you at the very least to trust in him and to give us the hardship, to, to endure hardship and to remain faithful until he gets around to allowing the circumstances to fall in place to answer our request or our petition. Or let me put it another way, as it says in the Bible itself, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purposes. Familiar with that verse? Romans 8, 28. Notice the way this verse said God is working to produce good. That's the implication. This time uh, situation means that things are working, and in this case it tells us working together, working things together so that we get the right answer, the correct answer, the godly answer in the due season. Now that may not, it's very likely that won't be as quick as you or I would like it. But if it fits with his plan, surely it's better that sometimes he delays for a while so that we get what we really need. 
As someone once beautifully put it, God sometimes gives us kites in the spring when he knows the wind is blowing hard enough to fly them and then gives us things of value in old age because only then we are mature enough to know how to appreciate them. So friends, there are sometimes delays, but there's a purpose. There's always a purpose and plan in that delay. God is in control, God knows what he's doing, and God will answer his prayer. Granted, sometimes not in the way we imagined at all, but God is always working together for our good. So how, what should we do? How should we respond then? Well, this passage says, in the light of this knowledge, our call, our position, is simply to keep praying. God doesn't want you to forget about the thing. That's the whole point of the passage in the fact that he's telling there's a delay sometimes. In fact, because it's going to be timely from God's point of view and he's going to answer in his way at the right time, then in the meantime, we're simply to keep having faith and believing because we believe that God is still working. Don't worry about that, I'm saying. God is still at work, so hang on and keep the faith and keep asking. And the Lord then ends this passage by saying, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, in this closing coda, we're linking it back in again to his return. I told you it was sandwiched in between. He's reminding us not to lose heart. If you've prayed for something for so long that didn't come to pass and you just got to the point where you said, well, you know, scratch it. I'll pray for something else. We become so discouraged, we quit praying. I do believe that happens. I do believe we can be inclined to give up on certain things in our life. We are inclined to just throw our hands up and lose heart, so much so that we're in danger of quit praying altogether. Now, what Jesus is doing here in this final verse is he's saying, look, friends, the real issue here is faith. The fact is, if you lose heart and you quit praying, then it's a very short step beyond that to quit believing altogether, right? Think about it. If you quit praying, what you're in fact doing, what you're in fact saying is, well, God doesn't answer prayer, so why should I keep asking? Every time I go to him, all I get is a busy signal. I heard once of a store manager at a concert hall who one day received a call from a lady. She spoke rather impatiently and curtly at him, saying she'd attended the concert the previous evening and had lost her diamond pendant. Had they found it? She said, I'm sure I lost it at the concert last night. And the manager replied, well, there's nothing in lost property. Let me go and look around where you were sitting. What was your seat number? Okay, please hold. Now it took a while for him to go all the way to the uh, the upper circle and go to all the possible places where she around where she was sitting and where that, that diamond pendant might have been located and yes he finally after a period of time he found it but returning to the phone he discovered that the lady was no longer on the line and she never called back again and that expensive piece of jewelry went unclaimed and sits there to this day if you my friends give up if you, my friends, hang up, maybe God was just coming back to the spoon, so to speak. You just hung up too quickly. The problem is not that God is not working or God isn't going to answer prayer. The problem is we quit asking 
We quit waiting, we quit persisting in prayer, and sometimes we even quit believing that God is the God who will answer prayer. So it's a very simple, straightforward, sweet spiritual point we can make today. And that is, friends, Jesus is saying, rather than getting discouraged when your prayers aren't answered, you should simply persevere in believing in prayer, in believing in the character of God that he will give us what's best for us, and believing that we believe in a God who answers prayers that are made according to his will. Now I suggest that there's probably not a single person listening to this today, including me, who hasn't prayed for something for a long time and not seen it come to pass. But you know what, friends? The one simple lesson from this passage, and I'm talking to me as well as you, I think this passage is telling me not to lose heart. Just keep believing. Keep believing that God will answer that prayer. So your response to that should be to continue to pray. That prayer will be answered, particularly when it's in the will of God, particularly, I believe, when it's for someone else and an improvement of their spiritual or physical situation. So is that a simple enough message for you today? Got it? Keep praying. Be persistent in prayer and believe in a God whose character is that he will always want and want to give what's best for you. And if you don't get anything else out of this passage today, get that please, because I believe that's the main point of what it's saying. we leave it there. Okay, friends, great to have you with you. Thank you for joining with you. Everything I do is put out there, free, freely available in the public domain for you to use in whatever way you find helpful. If you're enjoying it, then why not subscribe? And that way you'll make sure you get a notification of every episode that comes. And if you're really finding it helpful, why not consider liking it or sharing it? with other people that way they can be brought within the orbit of the gospel and make the decision like you and I have to not just read the Bible not just this is not just a Bible reading plan this is a plan to study together our way through the whole Bible in quite some depth if you're enjoying being on this journey thanks for doing that and thanks for those people who've connected to me on patreon and support and partner with this ministry because by doing that they're able to mean that it is freely available on well think about 25 podcast platforms and other places like youtube and the like all around the world i could not do that without the support of you guys and you know who you are but you know what everybody's welcome here I'm really just grateful that there's so many people who've made the decision to join me on this amazing journey. So I do trust I'll see you back here again tomorrow. Bye-bye for now.